Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodak. I'm here with, well, his name is, he's a street performer named, we know him in Greenwich Village as Go Alan Go, because he plays drums in, well, I've seen you in Washington Square Park and I've seen you in Union Square. I'm sure other places too. Yeah. And I'm going to, pardon me, before you guys talk, I'm going to explain how we met and where you, where I'm, my finding it. Sure, sure, sure. And the context of that, because regular listeners of this podcast and regular readers of my blog know that I pick up litter every day. I see the city that I love, the world that I love are increasingly covered with garbage. And so I pick up litter all the time. One of the things I've done is I, the morning after the pride March, Washington Square Park is, you couldn't see, people can't see. It's a wasteland. Yeah. I mean, we're, I mean, a wasteland would be like nothing, but this is like poisonous. It's covered and I'll put links to, I've done video and pictures of that. Mm -hmm. Now, in the midst of that, this guy shows up. And so I'm, I, people might think I'm down on Washington Square Park. I'm down on, on our world. It's so polluted. And in the midst of this, this guy starts playing drums in Washington Square Park. And it's phenomenal. So first, as far as I can tell, it must have been a year or two ago that I saw you first. And you were just one guy playing. And then over the months and years, sometimes I go and there must be 100 people dancing and forming a circle around you. And yeah. you know, now it's the wintertime, so not quite as much. Mm -hmm. And there's other musicians because I've seen guitarists and other drummers or people playing like tambourines, a violinist. And normally there's a lot of people playing guitar there. And that seems like the folksy kind of normal thing. And I do know about drummers who are like band leaders. I guess Max Roach, I think. Maybe. Definitely. Yeah. But I rarely see that out. And you're, here's what I see. You're having fun. You're making everyone around you have fun. No one has to listen. They can walk past if they don't want to, but a lot of people stop and they dance. And and I guess your kit has increased over time because I think at the beginning you only had a, a few drums and now you you, you, you also have a speaker or speakers and you play, a, like last time I heard you playing along to, uh, anyway, I, 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 like, like a song stream. Yeah. It wasn't like, was it Prince? No, it was. Anyway, and the people are dancing, and it's like old, young, black, white, rich, poor, everything. Yeah, and it's clean. It's fun. So it just makes people happy. And I wanted to like, if I'm going to talk about the problems, I'm going to talk about the, the solutions and the fun. And all that is to introduce you. And and every now and then, while you're playing, mostly you're not singing. I don't think I've heard you sing, but every now and then. You do have a thing out for people to leave money. I guess they can put Venmo on, yeah. which actually we should put that link in so that people can donate. Oh, I'd be so grateful. And, but sometimes you go, what's my name? And everyone knows, go, Alan, go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I am go, Alan, go. What's my name? Go, Alan, go. Yeah, I, I said, I'm go, Alan, go. What's my name? And it's kind of a little, yeah. And it's just so, it's like happy making and so I had to bring, if I'm going to bring out the problems, I'm going to bring out the solutions. Yeah. I want to ask where you came from, had the audacity and boldness to do this, but I want to start with what's it like when you're playing the drums and a crowd is formed, the sun is shining, people are dancing, they wouldn't be if, it, if you weren't there and you're just grooving. What's that like? How does that feel? <laughs> Sometimes it's quite literally out of body because sometimes I come sore from the day day previous. I do all my stretching on the subway. Got, 
think I might have an idea for subway yoga, essentially, that I'm totally <laughs> developing. But there's a certain point. I think, I, I guess in the moment right now, I'm hit by a, a Bob Marley lyric. One thing about music, when it hits, you feel no pain. So it's like certain moments where I'm suddenly just out of body. Like there's no longer this feeling around like a little bit of the sort of stiffness that I came out with. And I guess like unbridled joy. And I, what I started realizing is I'm like working through deeper childhood kind of stuff that I found this release to just come out mm-hmm. and give from what's within me. I, I play the music that I feel emotional connections have certain memories to. And what I've come to find out is other people have their own emotional connections, memories. And from time to time, I'll have someone like I've gotten like private message and girls like, hey, I just want this audition today. I was just super frazzled. And then just seeing you be in joy help me kind of just ease and uh, kind of forget about the whole experience and go get on with my day and things like that. How about like the other day I saw you, it was in the thirties in the forties. It was really cold out. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah, was off. Yeah. I, I was like, I'm going to do a polar busk. And I, I think it was like 28 around that day. Yeah. And it, it, the biggest thing I think is for me, it's like a, like a diesel, just get, stay in motion, mm-hmm. momentum, momentum, momentum. And I tend to, again, with that joy that I get, Possibly, I guess, there's a little bit of dopamine going on, serotonin, and oxytocin certain times. Mm-hmm. All that coupled with just, for me, a deep well of gratitude because I really understand that I'm really getting to do this. I took a chance on it about three years ago. I think you mentioned, like, I first came out, I had three little drums. Didn't know anybody really other than there was a drummer I really wanted to give uh, him his flowers. Is a guy named Jimmy Tambores. He's uh, back in his home of Mexico right now, but... He was a drummer out there at a place in the same exact spot that I do now, our pretty similar area, right on the um, south side of the fountain. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's someone who I just saw, I think, maybe around 2018 and kind of just got to know just a little bit. And I remember one time I had uh, some friends in, in town from Columbia and I was like, yeah, we should just go check out the party. There's a really cool drummer there, blah, blah, blah. And then that day someone hit me to just like see if I could get on his kit. You know, I never really even tried to ever get on his drum kit. Mm-hmm. and he let me and I remember just doing it the first time and I felt like a s- little spark and I and noticed I developed a little bit even of a crowd at the, in that moment mm-hmm. and so kind of was like huh and I got to know him a bit more and I, I started learning his story and that he actually needed to go back home and uh, take care of his father and so I realized that it was all coming down I think this was around November 2021 if not late uh, uh, late October something like that that this coming Saturday, he's not going to be there. That spot is a potential place to show up. And so I, I did that. Mm-hmm. And like immediately that, that very first time I went out, I was hit with opportunity. I got like in someone's music video, this other guy who was doing his own kind of, uh, yeah, like a marketing budget for a, a brand. He saw what we were doing and he was like, I, I want to have you go do that at Union Square, you know, paid me a bit for that the next weekend. Um, I had a meeting with an amazing bass player from Columbia whose dream was to come to New York. And uh, I met him out at Wash Square Park and that developed into momentum where we formed a rhythm section for this other band who we saw at Union Square that day that I'd already... So it's like so many things connected and then next thing I'm starting to play gigs and some clubs and like starting to have a few recording dates and things like that. So do you play... I mean, I see you here. Do you do parties? Do you do... do at a time. I would say the line share of what I still do is to go out and it still kind of feels like a bit of a mission for me to just get out to people and you hit on something too is like the cross section of cultures ethnicity race against the multi-generational uh, generational 
out, uh, I don't know how to say, like we got anywhere from, you know, newborn kids to, you know, uh, octogenarians and like, yeah, that's, and uh, the primary thing for me is like to, to encourage the space to have people to want to move and oftentimes just shake off a little bit of your social conditioning and, and certain people just spark, you know, dance parties. And yeah. I just love this. By the way, when I said old, young, rich, poor, and people couldn't see your face like lit up there. That that seems like really genuine. Yeah, it's a really like it is kid like joy. Because a really interesting part of how I grew up was in a pretty strict Christian background where there's a lot of like elders, things like that, and there was a drum set at the church, but I was like forbade from ever touching it. Mm-hmm. And so, but I would always try to sneak a little hits in here and there, and then like over time. Uh, there was like two different rooms where there was one in the other room. There's one in the main room. My dad might be in the main room. I'd try to sneak off to the other room where no one was at for a little bit and try to play, but I had to be like carefully listening for the door to open and like, I'm going to get in trouble. And so over time I built to wearing down my dad, I think by the age of 13, if I'm not mistaken, to finally get a drum set for me. Pre-lessons. You don't know what you're yeah, doing. You're just making noise. Yeah. And I still never, ever got lessons other than over time, big them to use, if you will, YouTube University, like uh-huh. find open okay. source materials, stuff like that. And yeah. Okay. So now I'm really curious. You're playing, as far as I know, there's no sheet music. It just seems like you're just grooving. You're like, you're correct. For me, especially like, as I mentioned, these songs have a huge emotional connection to me and I were to just develop my ear over time. And also now I'm actually using a little bit of AI technology to actually use track separation technology to kind of wipe out the recorded drums of a lot of popular music. And so then that leaves me this moment where, depending on how I'm feeling, I might be trying to hold to closer fidelity of the recorded music or something's telling me I just want to take this in a totally different thing, kind of mash up a different style against a song you're used to hearing, but suddenly I'm trying to play like a little bit more like an Afro thing against a rock song or kind of have fun in that moment. And how did you get, did, it was just playing? I mean, you've had no lessons. This no, is like, it's, I mean, you play for hours. Right. And I think that's really it to me is the like energy frequency vibration, like the frequency while carrying an emotional state. And then over time that's, you know, translating to a palpable feeling. I'm getting people give me that feedback back, you know, a certain aspect of magnetism. So it makes me think of Louis Armstrong, when he was a kid, he, I don't know a whole lot of about him, but I understand that he was self-taught and kind of learned that more. And then some people found him and gave him lessons. Mm-hmm. And like to me, you sound great because I'm just I'm, I'm looking at the effect on people, and I'm it seems like you're expressing yourself mm-hmm. very authentically and genuinely and uninhibitedly. Maybe technically you suck. I don't know. Well, it, it, I've had some humility over time to realize uh, especially because I've, I've worked to play a lot of times to recorded music that there is a clock if you will that's already set up rhythmically that I'm doing my best to actually calibrate and stay within a time domain if you will and I remember early on some of the songs I played to I would constantly my my energy would cause me to constantly rush and I would be trying to find the beat again and many times there's always case and I'm still wearing even yesterday I saw one of the best hits for me but I, I still notice it's certain things I'm still working on how to relax and how to channel energy without losing the time and it's a, a constant work are these things that working with teachers would help with or that in some ways sure but I think 
YouTube's been one of my greatest teachers because I often just follow some of the best drummers out there and see what they put out on YouTube. And then I think for me is internalizing. Like the, the more I can watch something, things will be in the click. And then the, the, the most important part, especially with drumming to me is you're trying to create mind body connection, mind muscle, muscle memory, things like that. And it, it's the act of doing it. I'm convinced is the only way you will get better and better. I'm big about experiential learning and not so big about classroom. Right. Well, I got a lot of degrees. I've learned a lot of classroom. Yeah. But it's nothing compared to actually, and, and in sustainability, there's so many people who are like, here's a bunch of facts as if those facts were going right. to change behavior. Was. And right now, I guess I feel called that I, I think about for me, music to me lives in the heart first before it ever makes it to the page, especially compelling music. And, and uh, I have this philosophy about rhythm to me, which rhythm is the second heartbeat. It's like the cell starts, right? Begins to divide one, two, four, eight, 16, 32, 16. At some point it becomes time for the DNA assignment to make heart cells. Mm -hmm. And then there's that first heart cell that finally, doo, and to me, the second beat, that's real. Uh, one beat. One, it's now so you have where we come from, where we're going, like space to contextualize an event, a sound event, if you will. When you're playing there, what are you doing in your heart? I mean, is it... Doing my best to stay like very open and notice emotions and like do my best to not stifle those. Because there's been certain times where I suddenly find myself weeping because a certain part of a song is talking about... Uh, I haven't done it in a little bit, but it's just Afro uh, mix and it talks about being away from home and being in the city and for whatever reason certain time I played it one time I just was like it really hit me in my journey like I'm in the city like I'm Duke like living there's here's skyscrapers this is like New York was once a postcard and suddenly just not fighting that and just continue to play and like stream to, tears are streaming down my face and yeah and that brings me back to uh, the day or day or two after January 6th the insurrection I was walking down the street and I'm I'm not a huge Springsteen fan but I like him and I don't know if you've heard of his uh, he would sing This Land is Your Land a lot but he, as a kid I learned it as like the sing song kid song mm -hmm. and I don't know if you ever read the lyrics but you know by I think Woody Guthrie and it's really heartfelt and it's very inclusive mm -hmm. well the instruction didn't feel particularly inclusive to me <laughs> and at the time there's Black Lives Matter there's like all this all these people are saying we speak for you like we we speak for everyone, mm -hmm. and none of them speak for me. Mm -hmm. So, I'm I don't sing well, <laughs> but I was I've it was one of the things I've been practicing as a non polluting activity. That's wonderful. You know, I don't fly. I've flown since 2016, and everyone's like, "Oh, it's, you're missing out on all this great stuff." I'm like, actually, I'm getting more. Mm -hmm. And every time that I do stuff, like when I force myself to not pollute. I always find community. Like if I if I try to avoid getting bags or avoid like what people are like oh don't bother the people it's hard like they don't want to deal with that. It see it may seem that way at first, but on the other side of it is always community and connection or self discovery. So people have been singing for since before humans were human. It doesn't pollute. So anyway, I'm walking down the, down to the river, picking up litter, thinking about how. They're trying to speak for me. And when I talk about pick up litter, people are like, oh, don't bother. Like, 
what's that good, good for? You're just making people feel guilty. So I actually am making, I, like, it seems to me that I'm making the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And all these other people speak to me and the tears just start streaming. And it's because of the singing. Like, that's what connected it. And my singing is not wonderful, but at that particular moment, it was my first time of it kind of reaching my heart. And I realized that it was a singing. So earlier, I would have thought, we'll stop singing because to stop crying. And instead, I started singing louder. And the tears started coming down more. And then I made it all the way down to the river. And then I went out on the pier. So it's January. It's really cold. But I look down and I see the Statue of Liberty. And then I'm just like bawling. And like everything from the eyes down was just covered with tears. And there's a few people around. So I put my hood up over because I don't need people coming over and being like, what's wrong? And I'll be like, the world is so beautiful. And we're getting it again. And if that's what you get more than one, like that was once in my life. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, we have all this technology that does all sorts of things. You can get any song, virtually any work of, of art ever been, ever made. You can get online right away. Yeah. Music, you can get, you know, if you can't get a sculpture, you can get a picture of it, you can get any painting. Sure. And we don't sing as much anymore. We don't play our own instruments. And people are like, how do you find meaning? I'm like, it's it, to me, how do you find meaning? It's like, if someone takes away your television, what do you do at the end of the day? Well, maybe put out a community playing. Yeah. If you can't listen to any music you want, maybe play some music. And here you are. You did it. Well, you're doing it. And some of you mentioned earlier like that, yeah, I, I don't sing, but one of the things I've worked more and more, especially in the last year, is that I do find moments to get community chanting and i typically try to avoid any actual words as much as just vowels mm-hmm. and i just go first i sing it then you sing it back and i might go oh oh oh, oh, oh proud go and i just begin to improvise and then oftentimes at, at least I, I tend to get to at least about eight of them mm-hmm. and and i try to kind of create my own arc of where i want to get us to the highest like kind of level at the very end and then i'll break off into like a kind of jam or something like that. But it's that thing to me is uh, the more I've looked at like the idea of entrainment and like heartbeats and doing things together over time, much like if you've ever seen like with the uh, wooden metronomes, you've ever seen they put like a bunch of them on a table and they're all out of sync, but over enough time, they all truly uh, like, yeah, full locks. Resonance. Yeah, sympathetic resonance. And I think that's another thing. It's kind of like my sneaking the spinach in the smoothie or whatever. To what I'm doing out there. All right, I just had a crazy idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have a drum kit here. Well, we got just a tabletop here. Right. But I wonder if you could do a little bit, like 10, 20, 30 seconds. And I want to get all the people listening to this to go maybe, do it. Maybe there are like some headphones in, on a subway, yeah, like a little chant back and forth. Yeah, and how they like, like, we'll do it. Yeah. Okay, sure. So it might be like, uh, hey, 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 hey. Hey, 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 hey. And we go like, hey, 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 hey. Hey, 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 hey. That's what I like. Hey, 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 hey. Now we got to do the go and go. <laughs> I am go, Alan, go. What's my name? I said, I'm Go, Alan, Go. 
what's my name? And then oftentimes <laughs> lately, while I'm out at the at the park and I have no shirt on, it's the dead of winter, I go, I am Go Allen Go, and I'm raising money for a shirt. <laughs> that's really fun. It's it's like that's it's infectious. But were you okay, so you told the story about your first time meeting the other guy with the kid just below the Yeah, Jimmy, I was a drummer who I'd seen at it washed before, yes. Were you new to the city at that point? Where, where are you from? So I'm originally from a small desert city in Arizona called Yuma. Uh-huh. So right in the corner of uh, Southern California and Mexico. And then I left Yuma, I think it was about 2011, to go to South Florida to live with my brother down in Fort Lauderdale. Over time, um, I ended up wanting to pursue more of like the recording industry, especially around like uh, rap and R&B type production. Mm-hmm. So I ended up in Miami and uh, I got in with a little studio. Actually was homeless for a bit, living on a rooftop. I first tried to live in the storage unit that was like a warehouse style. So it's like 15 foot high ceilings. Mm-hmm. And someone had already started the studio in it. So I, I was doing that for a little bit. And then it was discovered once they watched the tape enough, you know, the, the supervisor lived on, on site and they're like, yeah, you're living here. You're not allowed to do that. Uh-huh. And I was just feeling so driven to want to try to make something happen in the recording industry. So I was just willing to sacrifice to live on top of this rooftop. And I was met a guy by an independent label, trying to kind of shorten the whole story. But I ended up finally getting off the roof and living on this guy's couch for a bit. And then finally got over to like, uh, living with a roommate over near North Miami before the opportunity opened up for me to come to New York by an unfortunate circumstance at the time, which is that the roommate I was living with, he had this home that I, I, he never disclosed to me was actually foreclosed. I know. And I actually took a trip up to New York. I think it was like October 1st of 2016. And then I came back down and then like a day or two later, as I'm coming back from like a recording session, there's locks on the house <laughs> and I'm like, what? And I read it and I realize, yeah, this is a foreclosed property. Like, and so I remember coming to New York though. And I just felt this thing. I was like, maybe this could be it. Like, and I remember meeting, uh, my cousin, he took me over to the hotel he worked at. And I remember meeting the people there and I just kind of was like, these could be my people. Like it, then maybe I could make it, try to get into New York, like get in somehow, get a job there. And so, Rather than, you know, face trying to become homeless again, I just immediately got right back on. I think October 9th, 2016, I came up to New York mm-hmm. and slept on my cousin's floor for a little bit. Then finally got to the point where a roommate moved out. I took over a room there and uh, I worked at this hotel for a while and just a little by little began to, you know, try to hack away at working less for someone else and try to work for myself and I had met a really cool producer down in, in uh, Miami, and then he uh, suddenly moved up to New York. Mm-hmm. After you, yeah, right after me, kind of weirdly, synchronistically that, and I was I was just starting to form a bond with him, and then suddenly he's like, "I'm coming up. I have this artist who's gonna uh, furnish this penthouse looking over McCarran Park, seeing for him on the weekends." And I was like, "Yeah," and so that would ultimately be one of the top accomplishments as to finally getting a song that still you know gives me a little bit of royalties to this day. It has maybe like eight million streams. But we did that there where I yeah, had a little bit of success with that. But what was starting to happen as I got out of that was I was realizing that I was missing the connection to live music. I'd been doing so much of like starting music from a computer, mm-hmm. 
many times or I could play some instruments, but again, like just very much like turn this into a record. And that's one of the first times I ended up at Wash and saw Jimmy drumming mm-hmm. and felt a little bit of the tingles and like, ah. But then pandemic happens, deep, deep depression, trying to build myself out of it. I take a job as a bar back over in uh, Bushwick, where I now live. Mm-hmm. And I'm working that bar back gig, but I'm there's music happening in the basement. Many nights there's shows, and it's the same thing. I'm feeling this. Ah, I'm just carrying beer up right now, but there's music happening. And mm-hmm. why am I not? And then I'd gotten this opportunity to kind of play like every Sunday with the residency uh, where I'd play bass for that. And then a real notable moment happens where uh, the drummer in our band, is, he's an amazing drummer in New York. He's now like done like fe- features with like Shakira and big kind of stuff. Uh-huh. His name is OMG Cornelio. He brought his marching pad and I have a background with marching percussion that goes further back. So I guess that's possibly the closest thing to lessons in that I did know how to read music. Uh-huh. But uh, he is the first time I ever actually did try a little bit of subway busking. And we were just doing marching style percussion stuff and we slowly built a routine and he brought some of his students that he was teaching. And so we'd kind of have a really cool community thing happening. Mm-hmm. And so that was still kind of like a little thing that I had a taste of like busking, but it was all subway based. I hadn't really done outdoor stuff. And then getting on those drums that day was just like, huh. And so things began to slow down at the bar and it was all kind of against the thing where I was telling you like the Saturday's coming up where I think the spot's going to be open and I should just do it. And so that very day I came out which also another cool thing happened that day is this uh, freestyle artist. His name is The Real Unscripted. He was in town from New Orleans and he was just about to leave, but he saw me drumming. He's like, I'm going to come back, get my stuff. Mm-hmm. And he helped me get one of my first legitimate crowds because he brought back up his stuff. He began to freestyle in the moment, which I love. It's like getting people present, right? Like observing things about people. It was like, you with the hat over the, and he's, he's creating rhymes and, you know, and, and then we have people going, Hey, Oh, you know, moving the arms. This all, this is also happening that first time I step out to Washington square park for a second, but I'm still working at this bar at this time, but I've now had a, a Saturday because it's slowing down at the bar where I would have been in, but now I realize the opportunity to just go out and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And so I began to do that more and more. And then it was really slowed out the bar to the bar. I was like, you know what? I'm going to quit in fate. And then the very next day, I got more in public support than I ever did working at night at that bar. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, now looking back. And it seems like there's multiple aspects of performing here. One of them is the drums and music, mm-hmm. and the other is playing the crowd, which seems something different. Yes. All right, and that's also something, I don't know if there are lessons in that, but imagine you're learning that too. Yeah. I, I want to read more of this book, but there is a book, I think it's late 1800s, if I'm not mistaken, The Science of Crowds. Mm-hmm. And I have looked at that a little bit. And I think the biggest takeaways I got from it is that it's like there's levels of energy to me. And that to me, I think I've extrapolated into like a binary kind of feeling about it, about like almost a quantization levels of energy. A crowd is not going to form until zero becomes one. But now at that point, if the energy can't double by at least one other person coming, that mm-hmm. we kind of at a limit of where it can go. But if one finds two and two finds four and four finds eight, there's like these quantization levels of energy. And now one of the most powerful experiences I had is with that same drummer I was talking about, OMG Cornelia. During the uh, time of George Floyd protests ha- starting to happen, he approached me about wanting to do a drum circle, drum circle in Grand Army Plaza. And 
I said, all right, we're going to do it. And we're going to start, I think we said, we're going to start at like 4.32. And we showed up to the spot. He, he, you know, promoted it on his Instagram. But as I get there, like no one's there. But we're like, we're going to start at the exact time we said we're going to start. And so literally we just start and it's like, third, I think within 17 seconds, I don't know if it's that, like, but it's like, it's like, suddenly we just hear another drum and this, the guy's drum. And then we fast forward two hours later, there's a crowd of easily 1200 people. Uh-huh. We have maybe about 50 to 60 drummers. I've begun starting to lead some things and trying to create moments to help people shine. And I'm like, all right, all hand percussion cut out. All right, let me hear the shakers. Let me hear the shakers. Shake, 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 shake. And then the call out people, you solo go, you know, passing things on. And then we started getting some chants going. And mm-hmm. there's a really beautiful moment where this uh, really older black man shows up dapper dapper dressed and he has a little piccolo and we got proud of 1200 people to calm down quite like quite enough we had a small pa and he did a rendition of amazing grace mm-hmm. and uh, on a piccolo on a piccolo it was so powerful i just saw someone uh a guy chip conley give a talk and he talked about how he was feeling suicidal and he aretha franklin amazing grace saved his life so i went online to watch that and and then it's funny that it was like just a couple of days ago that you've said that to me. Although also Aretha Franklin, have you seen Aretha Franklin perform at the Kennedy Center with Obama in the audience? Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's possible I've seen a clip, but I'm not sure. I'm going to show, I'll show it to you before, after we record, okay. before we leave. It's just, she is unbelievable. She starts by playing the piano and next thing you know, the entire crowd is like, they, they're like, everyone is like six feet off the grounds because it's just, and it was just her. Yeah. How did she do that? I mean, a, a lifetime, I mean, the, I don't know exactly what she did. I mean, I can see, but I know it's a lifetime of practice and rehearsal and, yeah. and putting herself out there. And the number of times she tried and failed must have been, I mean, I'm sure there are times she got up and everyone's like, What's, what are you doing? You totally. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Have you ever, have you ever um, bombed out there? I, yes. But what I've found is just the resiliency that more than anything is like a, it's like a sand shaker of people's memory and significance out there. Like I used to think like yesterday's crowd is still here the next day. It's not, it's constantly, we live in what about 8 million people in the city alone. So there's a, once I found there's a lot more freedom to that, as long as I don't, you know, do things that are, you know, criminal or like outright, just terrible for one's reputation. I can fail constantly. And to me, the, the, a lot of them are, to me, are more, far more micro fails sometimes where I'm like, okay, I think I have a crowd right now. Should I just break the crowd right now? You know, and hustle them for some money. Like, come on, open up the wallets or should I do another one? Or, and then maybe that song choice I did next because I didn't break right there, I actually see the crowd dissipate anyways. And I was like, oh, maybe I should have followed intuition to just stop right there and just allow that to be leaving wanting for more versus let me do a push for one more and things like that. And you learn a lot of technique of, of like how to say what and what, to, like, I mean, it sounds like you were conducting the drum circle. Totally. Yeah. I, I like, well, cause for me, what I had thought back was the previous drum circles I've been to, which is somewhere like over on my, uh, Miami, on like full moons and stuff like that. And uh, the sense I got from them was this thing where it became cacophonous for a while, just one sustained louder and louder. And what I, suspect i at least felt i was experienced was like a lot of egoic expression i want to be heard hear me and like this person then i was like no no when we do this drum circle at grand Ole plaza 
My intention is to preserve dynamics. We're going to get the greatest greatest appreciation to those who especially are drummers to be impacted by as well as building and building and building. And then let's come back to that idea that we first established, not just a continuous new morphing of ideas. And so I begin to kind of try to create the concept of great songs, which is just like thinking about an intro versus choruses and bridges, but especially like the chorus to me, like the refrain, like, and sometimes you don't know it's the refrain until like you suddenly realize, I think it is it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Let's go back, back, back. And then suddenly we're doing it. You also, it sounds like you have a lot of flourishes. I'm not sure if that, I, I don't, hmm. like, Impacted. you're not just doing a steady beat. Correct. Like, you're playing stuff that's really fun to listen to mm-hmm. and unexpected. And my stepfather plays drums and he's, it's, there's a word like padiddle or something like that. Like, paradiddle. Paradiddle. Like, uh, is that a rudiment you're thinking of or a... I'm using like the only drum term I know, <laughs> but it's like something where... I guess like when you're coming up to a big downbeat, you have like a big yeah. You, I might call that like a drum fill, which is like setting up yeah before the big downbeat. Like it's a, a lot of times there's certain moments where the space is creating the music where there's going to be some space, and a lot of times that's a chance for a drummer to shine and create you know some excitement or something. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's what you're talking about like a flourish. You know, something might be like you know like yeah. Are you, is that coming from? Did you are you where did those things come from? Or is there like a book of like, here's all the different ones or are you just making up on the fly? That's interesting to think about. I think a while ago, hmm, at, when I was really starting to get into YouTube and I would look at certain, you know, printouts of certain drum fills and I would see opportunities, but I think more than anything, it's definitely in my ear. I, I really look up to gospel drummers and there's this concept called gospel chops. And there's a whole um, community of a founder of a guy who, would do what's called shedding. He would videotape the act of what's called shedding. And many times, especially with gospel drummers, that's over at the church on an off day, setting up multiple kits, having a few musicians, and they would just begin to set up a basic groove and the, the, what's called working on the pocket first, which is just a steady groove. So it's like... And everyone's locking into that pocket, that groove. But then at a certain time, they do what's called, they, they open up for the shed, which is now like each person's going to feature for a certain amount of time. And let's say it's going to be four bars. So that might be like, you go. Pass it on to the next person. And then they talk and they chat and everyone keeps trying to hold the rhythm underneath. But each person is kind of working out things and your ideas are being expressed and like vocabulary. And a lot of times it's it's called chops. It's the that a lot of that fast flourish and stuff as as a mode of expression between drummers. And it often and there's a balance between its musicality and actually, you know, like if you're on a gig with Aretha Franklin, you you shouldn't be doing very many chops. You're making her look good. Yeah, you want a year, you should be focusing on pocket. Yeah, like that's give her the beat that keeps the thing you you know Aretha Franklin's trying to sing uh you know sing one of her songs and you're going <laughs> doesn't make a lot of sense uh-huh you know. yeah she won't invite you back right exactly it yeah. you probably won't even get paid <laughs> do you prefer playing solo out there or do you prefer when other musicians join you do they ask or do they just come or I, I do my best to yeah I do my best to try to stay open to a little bit of kind of like jam collaboration from time to time for the most part with what I'm doing especially around um taking these popular songs that are kind of personal to me that I'm trying to like let that emotion out. Mm-hmm. 
try to say more solo, but I, I keep, I take out a lot of uh, auxiliary percussion and I put it all on the front of my cart in the front and I always encourage people jam with me. Mm. Definitely. I always want people to jam. Uh, people that like, you know, louder voices than instrument, a guitar player, an amp, I try to work out with them like, hey, if you want to just, you know, hang a little bit and you're trying to kind of shed, work out some stuff, that's fine. But please be mindful to some of my direction. Mm-hmm. Like if I do tell you like, bring it down. It's because again, I'm trying to preserve dynamics. I'm trying to create a, an experience that still can be appreciated by other people versus, you know, just starting to, you know, Van Halen over everything. So it sounds like there's a, your community building is a big piece of this. Yeah. And I didn't realize it over time, but little by little being, yeah, like I'm seeing certain familiar faces and there's now just like, yeah, so many like cast of characters that, you know, anywhere from people who I see who are unhoused to, you know, you know, well-to-do business owners who, you know, I pass and see and like everywhere in between and, you know, certain kids, you know, like I, I, there was this, wow, I'm just remembering it. Can't recall his name at the moment, but there was this young kid for a while I, I would set up and uh, he would come by in the early mornings and just kind of tap away and, you know, we begin to have like a, would see him enough frequently. There's like, oh, hey, mm-hmm. like, you know, and stuff like that. How are cops and issues there? That's such a wild kind of ride with that goes. I think at the moment I'm getting a lot less of any issues with law enforcement because there's greater resources devoted to a lot of the protests and things happening right now. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, I think I'm in a little bit of a umbrella of sorts or something kind of right now. Grandfathered in? Or just for a little bit, but it just, to me, just, it just shifts like when priority, it's like, what is it? Like shit rolls downhill. And if if there's certain days where there's just less going on, I could become a focus. I think what I worked on personally is to be mindful of my dynamics, right? Which is that I don't need to play it. Because I think in the beginning, I did used to try to play like I I was playing to film Madison Square Garden. Mm -hmm. And over time, I started listening back to the cell phone. I would look at cell phone footage and I realized like, oh, wow, like I am trying to play to a song underneath, but I can't even really hear the song very well underneath. Mm -hmm. I could actually reduce my output that I'm actually playing and you can hear a balance of what I'm doing. And I begin to have a lot more trust now in that more and more of a balance of what I do. I still use a speaker from time to time. And so it's kind of, I think, what is it like on the rules? I'm not supposed to have amplified sound. Yeah. Uh-huh. But over time I've, I've been able to work with law enforcement that they tend to see that I'm coming in absolute good faith mm-hmm. and I'm uh, doing my best more and more to be observant of my proximity and how that affects other people too. And so like I've had a lieutenant work with me, like I'm just gonna let you know if you need to come down versus I've had other people, you know, absolutely shut me down. I had equipment confiscated by NYPD before. Took about three months to get it back. <laughs> so I never want to do that again. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's it's a very interesting thing. I'm just, over time, I've just worked to be as calm as possible, except if they're telling me to stop because ultimately for me as a drummer, I still have the ability to perform in the park until 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. as the acoustics of it. The amplifier is the kind of area where I have issues from time to time. Like, how do you spend break? And how about NYU? Because I've actually taught, I teach at NYU as an adjunct sometimes, and I've taught in one of the buildings, and I could imagine if I was teaching and there's like some really good music outside. <laughs> Does NYU ever talk to you or... I don't think that any. No, I'm not. So from time to time, I've gotten NYU students who are like, oh, yeah, as I was leaving class, I, I hear you sometimes. I love it. I love it. I think, you know, I get a lot of positive things like that. I don't want to switch direction a bit, too, because when I talked to you about picking up litter, that really sounded like it resonated with you, too. 
Right. I think I, I shared at that time that there was a certain point uh, before I moved to Bushwick, I was living deeper near Canarsie in Brownsville. And at some point, I just got so frustrated with the environment of just my walk to the train that I had this kind of like bit of a mania that day where I just spent, I don't know, possibly three hours cleaning the path of my walk to the train. Mm-hmm. So I guess somewhat selfishly, it's just kind of an emotion like, like, and, uh, and then by the time I woke up the next day, it was as if I had done nothing, you know, and that kind of crushed me a bit. And then I would have sometimes these dark fantasies of like forming a new type of gang that, you know, would <laughs> use extreme violence to speak the language of the streets to clean up the streets, you mm-hmm. know, but yeah. How does it feel with you? Washington Square Park is probably cleaner than a lot of areas out in Canarsie, but it's also, there's a lot of people cleaning Washington Square Park. It's like the overwhelming amount of, how does it make you feel seeing that? You've, independent of the media, I, I feel like you have a, do you have a sense of Washington Square Park as being like, not a home, but like a center of community? Yeah, it's kind of like a artist residency in some ways. And people are dumping their crap all over it. And all the stores around there, you know, it's so much more profitable they figured out don't have a place to sit down. Just give people stuff that's disposable and let them go to the park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I don't have to pay rent on the chairs in right. my restaurant. I don't have to pay someone to clean and stuff. And meanwhile, this plastic is all over the place. Mm-hmm. And my rule is, so during the pandemic, I was picking up, I, starting 2017, I said I'm going to pick up at least one piece of litter per day. Mm-hmm. Then in New York, I don't have to go out of my way and pick up dozens, 50, oh, yeah, pieces sure. per day. And, it's, and that's, I don't even leave my path uh-huh. during the pandemic when the northwest corner became crack row and the heroin and the meth and the fentanyl and the trank and all that stuff i said all right all right around here there's a lot of very rich people and i would guess within like a short walk there's probably like ten thousand people who live there maybe 20 or 30 i don't know mm-hmm. and they're all they're intimidated by the addicts so they're not going there so i said all right i'm gonna go there Mm. So I just made some rule for myself. I'm going to pick up three pieces of litter per day, one anywhere, and three in the Northwest Corner of Washington Square Park. And after a while, I was like, when am I ever going to stop doing this? So I said, all right, if there's ever three days in a row when I can't see, when it's not trivial for me to pick up three pieces, then then, th- then I can stop. I've not had one, I, I've had maybe one day when I couldn't pick up three pieces without looking hard. And it's really, on the one hand, it's kind of depressing. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it's purposeful and meaningful. Yeah. And I don't know if people get this, but like when I see, you know about, they'll have these um, conferences on, on climate and sustainability True. and people fly their private jets there. Yeah. So I look at the people on crack row and they're addicted to these substances mm-hmm. and they're making this big mess. But the mess is actually, it's big for there, but the people flying these private jets, their messes are way bigger. Yeah, these magnitudes. They're way more addicted. And so I I look at that, I was like, how can I help here? And then here being crap row, Mm. by the way, that's what they call it. That's what I've learned from them. Sure. And and then how can I help these people flying their private jets all over the place? I mean, Taylor Swift is probably in in a jet right now. And or if not, in like, you know, some type of luxury SUV, getting some. Yeah, or Jet is being lent to a friend to fly around. And uh, I don't think it's making... I, I'm sure in the moment they feel like, oh, wow, look at this. I'm so great. I'm having such a great time. But I think 
there's some parallel with the you can get all the music you ever want, but we don't know we don't know how to play our own instruments. We don't know how to sing ourselves. Sure. And you can fly all over the place. And I think it's isolating. And I think it's I think I'm sure she gives great concerts, but I feel like what her legacy is also this just huge is pollution, but also a a helplessness and I was reading this book and it, I saw the words smug insouciance. So insouciance of like mm-hmm. carefree. Insouciance? Yeah. It, I learned a little French, so it, it's like not caring, carefree. Mm-hmm. But carefree is like, if I'm just like going for a run and take my shirt off and I'm just feeling the breeze on my skin, and I care of the world, that's carefree. Mm-hmm. Insouciance is like, I might be hurting someone. And not caring. Mm. I like it shouldn't. You, you want it to be liberating and free, but I think it's also liberating. And free, like it's not liberating to be free of that you're hurting someone. Right to still actually have almost like these positive emotions you're experiencing, but no consideration for the totality of what's actually happening. Yeah, and where is it going with this? I forget. Oh, that. So we we're both. There's something about Washington Square Park. I mean, living here, it's my backyard. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I, I refuse to give up on. I, Of course, what I'm saying about the park, I can say about the world as well. I refuse to just say, well, what can I do? I refuse to say, oh, I have faith that the next generation will fix it or some genius somewhere will do it mm-hmm. or the market would just have to keep growing it and the GDP will... I, there's so many rationalizations and justification people come up with to not act and to continue polluting. Sure. And I'm hearing in you a spirit of, of the opposite, of taking responsibility, of and doing and and I see in the results fun. I mean tears coming out of your eyes at the joy and I, I forget the words that you said of of just transcendence. Yeah. I think that, yeah, it's pretty, yeah, it's like a certain time today, I'm not, I'm barely in my body. I mean, it's like a floating, it's a wave. I've never surfed before, but kind of feels that way to me with like my own internal, like if you met, okay, it's like, wow, I'm trying to put this all together in a moment, but a, which is probably not a great analogy for what you've been talking about, but a plane flying. Okay, let's use a bird, a bird trying to get to a destination. Is constantly calibrating against the magnetism of trying to go, like I say, it's north, you know. But it's a constant deviation against this intended path. And to me, that's my own thing with time. And I'm riding this wave of like, I know where this big, especially like these Afro house mixes I do. I'm in what's called like a breakdown, which is like all the, the rhythmic elements have shifted out and it's now just become like a boom. And there's very little palpable things that are giving time. But I know it's coming up and I'm building myself and I'm and I'm trying to calibrate like, am I still in time? Uh-huh. And I'm listening for certain key moments of elements that I know, okay, this this thing still falls on the beat that lets me know I'm still on. And if I, okay, yep, yep. And then it, like, capturing that moment where I hit the downbeat correctly, uh-huh. you know, that's a huge emotional release for me of like a perform like, uh, being happy with myself for, for getting the performance. And then what I notice is for the audience, it's an impact. It's 
impactful because you know I took risk. I and then there. But if it didn't hit, it would be like, what was that? yeah, it got a little weird for a second. Like, oh, what? you know. And sometimes it, like you said, like bombing. Like I, I, I think the other day, like I, 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 got, I, uh, I was playing Bohemian Rhapsody. That's what I heard. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. And I have a lot of fun with that one because I never played the same way twice. But I have some basic ideas. I've been playing it more and more. But there's the build up near the end after it gets at the dun and there's this build and there's no discernible time right there and so it's like i have to and it slows back down and so sometimes i've been early you know and so i still work at that but yeah that's like one of those moments like when i inhale it feels so good like yeah i was right with and then sometimes you know to me i find that's always better i think to be slightly later than early on it yeah all right now all right, that's the awesome part. Mm-hmm. Now you got to, I don't know how you get the drum kit out there. I don't know where it is when you're not playing. Yeah, so that's the, the iceberg of this happy, smiling face, enjoying is because it, the reward to me is like, that's the part I do freely. The The support I'm asking for is for the other, you know, 21 hours of the day and what it takes for me to get here and there. And so what I do is I have a uh, hand cart. It has what about a 500 pound capacity vertically and i think i'm around like 250 sometimes up to about 350 of gear that i load onto it Mm -hmm. and i i now have a storage slash rehearsal space uh over in bushwick that i recently took on the added financial liability to do Mm -hmm. and uh i leave from there and then i with all the stuff yeah i gotta load it out i gotta back out two different doors to get in. There's like the keypad door and the main one. And I've got my own little, you know, way of doing it now without, you know, needing anybody's help. I get out and then I got to go up the road. It's uh, Stanhope street. And I get to the DeKalb station for the L train. And then I, so an elevator, there's not an elevator there. So what I carefully do is I take it down step by step, which is like a great kind of rowing deadlift kind of reframe for me is like, Oh, it's part of the exercise I'm getting. And I get that down carefully. Then I get on, I wait for the last train car, I get to the very back of the station to get on the last train car, I get on. Sometimes there's someone in that first corner that I, was where I need, and I was like, can I please do that corner? And every now and again, I think, historically, it's like three people have been like, no. But more often than people are just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I start doing all my stretching in the back of the train car, begin to try to work out my wrists, you know, open up my hip flexors, hamstrings, then once I get into the city, depending on where I'm going to play, like if it's Wash Square, then it's getting to the elevators, you know. And so, like, if I happen to take the M train, then I know I got to get off in the elevator, take that back up to the level, to then walk to the uh, exit, to then take the final elevator up to street level. Once I'm at street level, okay, great. Now I just got to get over to, it's like, whatever street that is. Uh, West what? Third. Yeah, Third. I think I go up, I go up Third, West Third. Mm-hmm. And then I get onto the park and set up everything usually within anywhere from like 30 to 45 minutes and then start hitting. So that's a lot of prep. Yeah, it really is. And no, you, you don't tell people about that. Like they, no. Have you ever talked to people at Judson church? I don't think I'm familiar with it. At all. So Judson is the church. Every building around Washington square park, except Judson is NYU. And Judson is the church. That's just, it's, it's like the tall building. I think the, uh, they have clock on are they Catholic. 
I don't know what denomination it is. Because I, I know I see, like, I've met a, a man named Father Jonah. And he's like one of the fathers. I see him pass. Oh, that's from NYU's, what's it called? Oh, like theology there or something? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I think. Because I know, because I know there's, there is like a, someone, someone was telling me that they have prayer four to six Monday through Friday. Because mm-hmm. recently I got some feedback from one of the fathers. So I, I think that's NYU. Because Judson okay. does a lot of community stuff. Okay, okay. And I've seen musical performances there. So I'm, I, I wonder if they'd let you keep your drums out. I mean, you have to. Maybe that is really, I mean, I'd love to figure out if I can make a relationship that way to make it that much closer to that. Yeah. That's been something I've been working on. I've been figuring out, I think, trying to learn a little bit more about anti-glycolytic training. Because I think a lot of times, uh, especially in the beginning, I have so much bri- uh, like unbridled energy to get out there that I would deplete my glycogen stores before I even start playing oftentimes in the act of just getting the hall a lot of times i would try to get into closer to like a relative sprint with you know three or four hundred pounds that i'm moving mm-hmm. try to just keep momentum and just get there faster a lot of times too it's like a scarcity for like i don't what if there's not gonna be a spot in and over time i have a little more secureness in that i've put enough work that uh, sometimes people advocate for my spot you know people have i've, I've heard times where someone would be upset, like no 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 Go Island Go is coming. I like, know, huh. like, you know, things like that. And, um, but yeah, that's still probably the greatest challenge I face right now is still how to move, which is kind of funny as I, it's kind of actually be a good uh, little segue about a little bit of a plug, but I, I'm going to start a GoFundMe. Hopefully by the time we put this out, I'll have it. But I, I literally just ran through my hand cart last night. Like, it's kind of crazy. I made it pretty much right to the, f- the first two doors of my storage space and then like, it was already starting, like one of the wheels was already starting to get out of alignment and the other one just literally came off right as I got mm. into the space. Like I happened to make the final, final last trip that I could possibly do on that hand card. So I am trying to get a new one. At, it's uh, at Home Depot. It's about $240. Did you see the Blues Brothers? Yeah. You know, when they finally pull out in the car, just push. Yeah. <laughs> it was It was really like, that's a great analogy. Yeah, it was very much like that. It was kind of like divine. Like, and I knew it because I felt... As I was about three blocks away, I heard the other wheel just start going. Just now, I was like, "Okay, yeah, we no longer have like an actual like bearing that's happening here. Like this is it. this is the final trip for this uh, hand truck." All right, so everyone listening, if there's a link for the GoFundMe, if he has got a GoFundMe link, it'll be in the notes. If not, contact me and I'll get the funds to him. I'm not going to keep any of it because Go Allen Go, yeah, yeah. it's building community. Yes, yeah. and yeah, I am Go Allen Go, and I'm raising money. To keep on going. Thank you so much. Have you collected uh, videos where people can watch? Uh, you're not making videos of yourself, but there's lots of people recording. Right. It's very interesting. I think my social media standpoint has been one that's sustainable for my own emotion and mental load, which is to just allow crowdsourcing to happen, mm-hmm. which is that anyone who happens to get something emotionally that makes them want to share it and they tag me in it, when I get home, I tend to just go and very quickly go add to story. I thank that person so much for taking even the time to do that. And then I just kind of allow that to, you know, move through the ecosystem. But there's a lot of, you know, things that I'm not tagged in. And from time to time, people will advocate for me. And suddenly somewhere in the comments, like, that's Go Island Go, you know, and things like that. So if people go on Instagram and YouTube and just type in Go Island Go, they'll find you? Uh, yeah, especially I would say, yeah, Instagram, I think I have the most presence. There's like a few videos on YouTube, but yeah, it's Go Allen. A-L-A-N, go, Allen, go, NYC on Instagram. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I don't have to go online. To, I can just walk, walk to the park. And yeah, there. lucky. And if you're not there, then it's the absence of you that makes me like, oh, I can't wait till the next time. Uh, that's amazing. I appreciate that. Oh, man. it's This is so... I mean, if you're thanking me, I'm like, it's backward. I'm thinking, like, it's... Are you are you hoping to get discovered and break break into the big time, or are you just having fun? Or do you- it's a it's a real interesting dance with that. Uh, I think I still have dreams to want to create like moments where I get to you know get invited to do some artist that's happening to come into Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. and I get to do a one off with them. You know, I, I don't have great aspirations to be on tour as much as like I can see the possibility of. And it's happened kind of in a smaller level, or not small level, but like a sliver of where I saw possibility, which is that these really awesome DJ producers named Skrillex, Fortet, and Fred again. And they, I think it was like about a year and a half ago now, they went to Times Square promoting ahead of their show that they had at Madison Square Garden. And they just played a set right in the middle of Times Square and pretty much shut it down and got so much attention. And I happened to watch the live stream and I felt very strongly and emotionally behind this. They're here in the city. And so the very next day, I came out to Wash Square. And as I'm setting up in the morning, who do I happen to see? One of the DJs, Fortet. I go, Fortet, hey, that was so cool what you guys did, blah, blah, blah. And then later, I'm playing, and I'm happy to actually play one of the songs that they had played in the set the day before. And then there's the actual one of the producers of it, Fred again. And he's giving me a dollar or whatever he gave me that day in, into my into my uh, my bucket. And I was and then a couple people in their like uh, friend group were like, you're awesome, you're great. And so I think, to me, I think I would love to be able to get that kind of thing where there was enough interest and value to the story with maybe they want to have me, you know, have a small feature into their set because the story makes enough sense, you know, for general interest. And then I could also still be, you know, paid well to do that too. I'm in the middle of Bruce Springsteen's autobiography, Born to Run. Mm-hmm. And he talks about being... At first, no one on the Jersey Shore, and then getting better, and like he had his big first break at Cafe Wa, and then no, uh, was spending time in Washington Square Park, mm-hmm. and struggling and struggling and struggling and sleeping on the floor and sleeping and just like he tells a story about he got his first gig and he's coming to New York City from New Jersey to get thirty five dollars, which was like a big deal. Mm-hmm. He's driving to the Lincoln Tunnel, and to pay the toll. There's a sign that says no pennies. He's got 100 pennies. And he gives the woman, he's like, please. And she's like, so she counts out slowly all 100 pennies. And before she says you can go through, she goes, but not this. And it's a Canadian pen. Oh, my God. So all the cars behind him are really pissed. So he gets out of the car and starts getting through the back. And he's like, I know there's a penny in here somewhere. So he finds another penny and he gives that to her and she lets him through. And he talks about the lessons learned and things like that. But this is like one of many things that are going on with him. But he knows. I was kind of funny when you're reading it because we all know Bruce Springsteen is like issue of it. huge. But at the time, he's no one. And he, but he knows what he's capable of. There's a vision that he has. And to me, as someone that perpetually, everyone's like, Josh, why are you so extreme? Mm-hmm. Why do you like, we just had 23 out of 25 days were mostly cloudy or rain or snow. Right. That's part of what we delayed. Our oh, yeah. But it was just a meet a week ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it kept saying, sun tomorrow. And then it would be, and I'd be like, oh, finally. And then I'd be like, no sun. Yeah. And so we had to postpone a week, postpone a day, then another day, and then a week. And other people like, plug in, Josh. It's no big deal. Mm. 
And to me, I could talk about integrity and I could talk about, but it's really like, I could talk about 10,000 hours. If you got to pay your dues, you got, but also it's not, how do I put it? It's not a struggle when you love it. It's. Yeah. Well, you sent me a text. It's like, I really feel really driven around sustainability leadership. Yeah. Right. Which is to lead by example. In sustainability, people feel so guilty that when they see someone living more sustainably, they do the opposite. They go away from They regress. And, and so, yes, leadership, but the leadership is not the living by my values. And they, I can't lead someone else to live by values that I live the opposite of. Sure. But just because I do it doesn't mean that they will. Right. In fact, it's it often goes the opposite, as I mentioned. So I have leadership techniques as well that, I mean, we're at about an hour now, so I'm not going to go into it now, but when I've seen the park during a break, I'll, I'll describe it to you, the Spodic method. Right. It, and it's actually at the end of those 20, the next, on the 26th day, the, it was sunny, but I didn't know that yet. I, was, I woke up before the alarm and something came together, this big epiphany that would not have come had I been working at the computer all that time. Because the time away, in this particular case, one of the things it forced on me was to relax. Mm. And and to think long-term, which I can't do when I'm getting stuff done. Like if It's like Goodfellas, I don't know if you've seen it. Sure. The, the helicopter scene when he's like, he's like doing cocaine all over the place. And he's like, he keeps in the helicopter and he's not sure. Yeah, yeah. In his mind, he's getting things done. He's like, he's going to do it, doing this, right. check this, something, something there. And, yeah. <laughs> and then, but when the doctor, he like picks up his brother or someone from the, from the doctor and the doctor's like, you don't look so good. And this, it, like Scorsese show, shows it, he's like all frazzled. Yeah. But in his mind, he's like, I'm getting stuff done, getting stuff done, getting, getting stuff done. Yeah. And part of me was thinking, I'm working on my book and my book, I hope to influence American and global culture. That's billions of people. If I take one day longer, isn't that going to delay stuff? But I can't lead other people to live by values that I live the opposite of. So I realize if I can't, if I tell people you got to live a certain way, but when it's kind of hard, I don't do it. I, you know, give up, you know, it doesn't work. So yeah, there's integrity, but there's also this joy that comes in it. Like, how do you feel when you're carrying the drum kit down those stairs in Brooklyn. It's really just, yeah, I have a lot of little, I guess the chemical hacks of always finding like something that's funny about what's happening or like the shocked faces from time to time. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, I get, I think I get little, I don't know if it's dopamine or like a oxytocin or like something happens sometimes where I'm just like, I feel this, that's weird. Like almost like a duping delight. Like, also, I'm almost out of the matrix, guys. I'm done with my dream right now. Like, I'm like, the, and a lot of times, too, it's like, okay, this is, you're exercising. Like, you don't even have to go to gym. Like, it's, I have like tons of like little things that, and especially now, it's really awesome as you bring, you're bringing up relaxing is I've been working on this concept of relaxing and I'm finding so many more moments of relaxing as I do whatever I do with that's just to take the tension off here. I, I reflect back to when I first used to move, I used to be in so much tension. Everything I moved, and now like constantly finding moments. I take this hand off. I take this hand off, and notice like the moment to just even between my left gate to my right gate. Like, there's moments to relax inside of each one of those ones, and uh, that's really I think more of a breakthrough in the last really this month. Really, like where I 
begin to relax getting here, especially getting back home to where I used to be such a, just like, I gotta get back and just like move at a just consistent. And I think as some of you mentioned, it's like one day isn't like this, this mission is for me right now just feels like I've just begun. I'm starting, I guess my third year of this. And you know, if I need to take an extra day to rest, 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 Alan, rest. <laughs> well, I wouldn't, I could easily talk to you for hours. Yeah. And I'll, I'll keep it here for now. Sure. And leave people at, in a relaxed and hopefully generous state. I would hope so. I, I appreciate any contributions. Thank you so much. And is there anything else to leave with that? Any, any message you want to leave you with besides come to Washington's Square Park and hear you play? Well, yeah, definitely. If you happen to be in New York, definitely do that. Uh, one of the things I guess I want to kind of plug is um, I'm part of a new exciting collaboration with this electronic violinist. The band is called New Thousand. It's new like New York Thousand, like what we're always trying to get when we go out on the street perform. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually getting uh, flying out to New Orleans on a couple days from now to go do some stuff for Mardi Gras Ball. We're going to be recording a live album over in Brooklyn at Echoland Studios later in March. So I'll have more info when, uh, as we get closer to that. But we, we are going to maybe have a small audience that we're going to invite to be a part of that live album experience. Then we're going to do video as well. All right. When, when's that? Uh, we don't have an exact date. But we're, it's somewhere near March. We're, we're possibly looking to time it against the sunset. Uh-huh. But yeah, over kind of down like in the Sunset Park area, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be doing that. And I, I've really been enjoying this collaboration. He's an amazing violinist that I met, who literally appeared over my shoulder at Washington Square Park because I, I didn't know it. But his brother was actually out in the park as a street poet, mm-hmm. and he was telling his brother who was back over in New Orleans. There's this great drummer. I think you guys would really mesh well. Was this a guy? I- did he play with you at the music square? Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's he, European maybe? Yeah, he's Greek. Uh-huh. And he does a lot of uh live looping. Everything we do is improvised. And I would say he kind of mashes up his Mediterranean roots against his love of like uh hip hop styles, especially that were coined over like in uh the cash money era in New uh, uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. And it's a really fun kind of danceable. You usually get some really crazy crowds. Have you heard of What's her name? She's the hip hop violinist. She's this Israeli American or American fan. Who you're talking about? I remember there was like a, a really crazy performance at the Apollo where she just yeah, like she nailed it. Like, oh my god, the crowd just yeah, yeah. And like, I'm forgetting her name too right now. Right, yeah, she's amazing. Uh, it might be Lindsay Sterling, but I, I don't think so. I think it, that's a different. No, that's different. I don't think. But she's a great violinist as well. But yeah, that, if you could think of the name, she's an amazing violinist for sure. And yeah, how she, you know won the crowd over right because that's the days of the apollo or you, you know getting booed off stage the keys there's like different ways i'm not online that's yeah what. yeah I, and it's an israeli name like yeah. m- m- i'll remember it later yeah. uh, amir i'm not so you know her but you've yeah. played together no not yet well go and go thank you very much this has been just wonderful i i can't wait to see you next in the park and i hope i hope this leads to a lot of people finding your stuff and yeah i feel like we how do I put it? Like, there's something in that park. I mean, it's the whole world, but that park that's like home and we're like, there's so much to add to it. Mm-hmm. And I, so many people hear me getting down. They sound, it sounds to them like I'm getting down and I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the potential. I'm, I'm pointing at the moon and they're looking at my hand. Mm-hmm. 
and you're living it too. But your way is is obviously like overtly fun and engaging and inviting. Appreciate to hear that, man. Go on and go. Thank you very much. Thank you, Josh. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.